Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. This isn't my primary text, but I want to start with this this morning. Open your Bible to 3 John. That's the third epistle of John. And I want us to begin in verse 2, a verse that we read a lot, but I want us to read down through verse number 4. Well, we'll start in verse 1 because we don't have to go back very far. Amen. Third John, verse 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. We've talked a lot about how God wants us to prosper in every area of our lives. Isn't that right? And then he said in verse three, for I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Notice in verse three, he said, I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. You know, if you live right, people will know it. Amen. Amen. Other people had visited the apostle and told him about Gaius and the walk with God he had. Other people testified that he was full of the truth. Find my verse here again. Yeah, it's the wrong page. He, uh, he said, I rejoice greatly when brethren came. So it wasn't just one person, but brethren, plural. People came and testified of the truth that is in you. But notice, just as you walk in the truth. It's one thing to have truth in you. It's another thing to walk in the truth that you have in you. And if you're not walking in the truth that's in you, the truth that's in you does you no good. Amen. It's not what you know, it's what you act on. It's not how much Bible you know. You can have really solid doctrine in your belief system, but if you're not walking in it, it's not doing you any good at all. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. You know, as a pastor, there's no greater joy than to see people in your congregation actually walking in the truth of God's word, actually putting it into practice, acting on it and doing it and reaping the results. That's why when we hear testimonies like we heard on Wednesday night, it so thrills our heart. It thrills everybody's heart, but it especially thrills our heart as pastors because we see that people are hearing and doing. Amen. And, and I tell you, it's, it's, it's the most rewarding thing in the world. Let's look at another verse of scripture where Paul talked about that. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Amen. <clears throat> Verse 13 says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, 
Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. He said, we, we continually give thanks because when you heard the word which we preached, you didn't think, well, that's just a man. That's, well, that's just Brother Paul and Brother Silas and Brother so-and-so. That, you know, well, that's good. It's good to hear what they think. He said, when you heard the word from us, you didn't receive it as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. See, you have to receive the truth, first of all, as from God. Now, when the Apostle Paul was in Thessalonica, do you think he stood up and said, Paul, Savanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks. Do you think he did that? Do you think he quoted this verbatim? I'm, I'm asking your opinion. What do you think? Do you, is that, is, do you think that's the way Paul preached? We're accustomed to thinking this is the word of God. Paul said the word I preach to you you receive not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Now, what, what, what I'm saying is, when Paul preached these truths, that was the word of God. You following me? Well, not when he talked about the weather, not when he just, you know, just uh, ordinary things, greetings and that sort of stuff, but when he taught them these truths, maybe in different words, he was preaching the word of God. And when they heard him with all of the uh, uh, things that, that were wrapped into his message, all of the illustrations, all of the uh, explanations and amplifications of, of these truths as he unfolded them to them, they didn't think, well, now that's Paul's opinion. They said, no, that's God speaking. If you want to get what you need to get from a church service, you need to receive the word that's being preached to you. Now, listen to me. If it's according to this. Now, if it's not according to this, you have, you have no right to receive it. I know if... if any preacher, including myself, ever says anything that's contrary to this, write it off immediately. It could be a, a lack of, of understanding. It might not be intentional. You don't need to, you know, write him out of town on a rail. But if it's not according to the word of God, you just say, well, you know, that's not biblical. But if it's according to the word of God, if, if a preacher is preaching and, and he's persuading you, 
See, that's what preaching does it's in, and teaching does. It's designed to persuade you along the lines of this truth. You need to understand that, that that's God's word. I'm not persuading you of my word or my thoughts. I'm persuading you of God's word and God's thoughts. Amen. And he says, this word that you received in that way also effectively works in you. It works in you when you receive it as the word of God and then like John said, when you act on it, when you walk in it, when you put it into practice. Well, amen. amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. It's at you know, the end of the year, we always look back and thank God for his blessing. But then even though we're not in the new year, we automatically start thinking about the new year. How many of you are already making plans for next year? Are, are, any, is in, is, are any of you planning to do anything, say, differently or more that would be different, maybe the same thing, but more of it? Anything that you're planning on doing differently in the coming year? Anybody thinking about that? Yeah, that's good. So even though it's, it's December 30, uh, what is 31st? Even though it's December 3rd, I do know McAllen. Even though it's December 31st, it's not too early to look at the next year. Amen. And what, what will your future hold? What will next year be like? What will it be like? Well, I can tell you this. It'll be what you make it to be. Your future is up to you. I actually preached this message, but I've reworked it uh, a couple of years ago, about two years ago. Uh, and I made this point, your future is not up to God, it's up to you. Amen. Go with me over to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Verse number 18 and 19. Matthew 16, 18, and 19. We won't set it up in all of the uh, context because I think most people know the context, but uh, you can understand it. Verse, starting in verse 18. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, turn over to the 18th chapter. Jesus again made this same statement. So it's important. He said, if he refused, this is verse number uh, 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So two times here in three chapters, Jesus said those words. He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's saying that whatever you allow is what will happen. And whatever you don't allow won't happen. Are you hearing me? Whatever you bind on earth, that means put a stop to. 
Whatever you say, no, that's not going to happen. Whatever you bind here will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose here, whatever you put into operation, whatever you put into motion, whatever you uh, not just allow, but cause, whatever you put into effect on earth will be put into effect in heaven. There's a lot of different ways to look at, at part of that, you know, what, what, what that means in heaven. But you can just, one way to look at it is that heaven will back you up. Heaven backs us up in what we allow and what we refuse. Amen. It's not up to God what happens this year or the next year. God, let me tell you something. This, is, this shatters a lot of theology, but God is not in control. God is not in control. Now, I know a lot of refrigerator magnets have been sold. I know millions of bumper stickers. I've seen them and you have to. God is in control. I'm going to prove to you from the Bible today, God is not in control. He's not. And if you think God is in control, then you're going you're to miss out on a lot of blessing. Because Jesus said, whatever you allow will be allowed and whatever you prevent will be prevented. Who does that sound like is in control? Amen. Now, we sing this song, He Reigns Forever. And you have to understand the context. God reigns in the sense that he is the creator and he created all of the natural order around us. He set all the spiritual laws into operation. They all operate on his authority but you need to know that what's going on right now in the earth is not necessarily the effect of God's reign. What did Jesus preach? What were the words that Jesus preached repeatedly when he preached the gospel? He, he, the Bible says that he went out and preached the kingdom of God. What does that mean, the kingdom of God? Jesus came on the scene and said, the kingdom of God has come unto you. What did that mean? That means the reign or the rule of God had come to them. Well, now, if, the, if Jesus announced that the kingdom of God had come and, and it was initiated in his ministry, he brought about and introduced the kingdom of God, God's reign in the earth. Well, what was going on before then? Was God's kingdom in the earth before then? If it was, then there was no big announcement. I'm getting you thinking here. He said, the kingdom of God has come unto you. Well, that must, that must mean, at least it suggests, and I'll prove that it is true, it suggests that the kingdom of God was not there 
and was not functioning in the earth before he came and announced it. Amen. God is not in control. You say, what about what Jesus? Well, we'll get to that. We'll, We'll bring that out. And it's not up to God what happens in 2018 in your life. Now, in in broader terms, just so you'll understand, in broader terms, God is in control in the sense that he is not going to allow the gospel to pass away. He's not going to allow the church to ultimately fail. He is not going, he is, he is watching over things that develop in the earth in terms of the alignment of nations and so forth to bring about prophecy. He is working in the world, a master plan. Don't misunderstand me. And we know from the book of Revelation that after this age is concluded and we move into the next age, we see then God reigning supreme over every detail of life. But right now, God is not reigning over every detail of life. Everything that happens on this planet, I mean, you wouldn't have to be real smart to look around and see that not everything that happens on this planet is is, uh, something of God. He's not in it. He's not behind it. He's not for it. He's not allowing it. Well, who is allowing it? The truth is, God hasn't been in control since the Garden of Eden. (laughs) God hasn't been in control since the day he created Adam and Eve and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. God has not been in control since then. Go with me to to Genesis 1. I know some of you know this, but some of you don't. Listen, if you don't understand some principles from Genesis 1, the whole rest of the Bible will be a mystery to you. Isn't that right? You know that's true of a lot of books. <laughs> if you picked up a novel and didn't read the first chapter, you'd be scratching your head the rest of the book, wouldn't you? <laughs> Genesis 1, and let's look at verse number 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now notice this. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Bring it under control. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created mankind and immediately delegated the control of this planet to man. Did he do that? He said, I want you to go out 
and have dominion over everything that lives on this planet. That was the day God gave control of our lives to us. What we do, how we fare, he said, you go out and take dominion. Praise the Lord. As the Bible says. Uh, go with me to 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. We know that something happened. <laughs> something big happened. Something very bad happened. Something that was completely against God's plan happened. He knew about it ahead of time, but it was against his plan. Thank God he had a remedy for it. But in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3, it says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. He said, the God of this age. Go with me to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Verse number 1 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And then go with me all the way back over to 1 John. 1 John. Look at verse 19. We know 1 John 5, excuse me, chapter 5. 1 John 5. Look at verse number 19. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's a pretty powerful statement. He said the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Well, that's not the way it started. God created the earth. God created Adam and Eve and he gave them dominion. And at that point, the whole world was under the sway of man. But we understand that very soon, apparently, we don't know how soon, but evidently pretty quickly, uh, the tempter came. Adam and Eve yielded. They sinned. They were separated from God. And the, world, the earth uh, was put under a curse. And that's when Satan became the God of this age. That's when Satan became, Jesus called him the prince of this world. In Ephesians, it, it, tell, it refers to him as the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. In 1 John here 5, it says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Well, now, if we just stop right there, that would, that would be terrible. That would mean that, that it's hopeless, that the devil's running everything. 
But that's not what the, it's not what the Bible teaches. Isn't that right? Let's go back just a little bit to the fourth chapter of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen. Glory to God. See, when Jesus came on the, on the scene, there, the kingdom, God's reign was not in the earth. God was not ruling and reigning in the earth until Jesus came on the scene. God created this, this world and the earth and he gave mankind dominion. But when man sinned, Satan usurped that authority. Satan usurped or stole the authority that God gave to mankind because of man's disobedience, his willful, open-eyed disobedience. Satan took the authority that God had given him and he reigned and ruled in this earth until Jesus came. Now we know here in, in 1 John, which was written at the close of the first century, John says the whole world is still under the sway of the wicked one. So what happened? What did Jesus do? What, what, what happened? Well, go over to Hebrews chapter 2 and you'll see it. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse number six says, but one testified in a certain place, that one would be David in the eighth Psalm. One testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Now this is talking about mankind. Mankind. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of a man that you take care of him? He said you have set him over all the works of your hand and you've put all things in subjection under his feet. Verse, and it goes on to say, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. That means your destiny and what happens in your life, God gave that authority to you. He gave that to mankind. He allowed in the Garden of Eden by decree, he set in motion a spiritual rule that a man would be responsible for his own life and what happens in his life, for good or for evil. He put everything in subjection and put it under his feet. But now notice the rest of this verse. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. <laughs> it's a conundrum there. God did it. He said it, but we don't see it. But we see Jesus. Jesus is the key to this, to this mystery. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, just like man, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. And, and just to save a little bit of time, go down to verse number 14. Inasmuch then as the children 
have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy, that is, render in powerless, render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. See, this tells us that before Jesus came, men were all their lifetime subject to bondage. God didn't make it that way. God decreed that man be in charge of his own life and in really in charge of the entire planet. That was God's plan. Satan came in and through deception uh, deceived and, and, and stole the authority that God gave Adam and Eve and mankind lived in bondage under that and into the control of that and were under the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage until Jesus came on the scene and he came as a man born of a woman tasted death for every one of us so that he could release us from that from that bondage and and render the enemy powerless in our lives what jesus did is he returned the authority that god gave man in the beginning he returned that authority to those who are his and that's why jesus stood up and announced the kingdom of god has come to you and then the disciples came and they thought he was going to usher in, you know, the, 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 uh, the physical outward rule of God right then. And he said, you know, when is this going to happen? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God's within you. It's on the inside of you. The reign and the rule of God, he said, is in you. Jesus came and he brought the kingdom of God back to men, but it's on the inside of it. It's not declared over the whole planet and everybody that lives here. It's in those who have the gospel in them, who have Christ in them. The reign of God has been given to the church. Remember it says here in, in uh, Hebrews about man, Look at verse seven again. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands and you have put all things in subjection under his feet. Well, what things? All things. Well, go back to Ephesians chapter one. Oh, glory to God. Ha <laughs> ha. Hallelujah. Paul prayed a prayer for the church. In Ephesians 1, we won't go into all of it, what he prayed, but he prayed, Lord, he prayed that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Amen. And that we would know uh, about his, the working of his mighty power, look, look at verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. That's what God intended for man all along. 
That's what God provided for man in the beginning. All things were under Adam and Eve's feet. All, thing, all things were under the feet of mankind. Satan came in and messed things up, but God had a plan. And until Jesus came, the whole creation just uh, was under that bondage. Jesus came announcing the reign of God was returning to men. Only it's not going to be out here. It's going to be in here on the inside. Glory to God. Aha. And so when Jesus was raised from the dead, the Father enthroned him at his right hand. Far above all principality, power, might, dominion. That means anything that the devil can come up with. Jesus was, was seated far above those things. And everything was put under his feet. Now notice this. He put all things under his feet, his feet, verse 22, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Now what are the all things? In the last part of this verse, it said he gave, he, put, he gave him to be head over all things to the church. A better translation of this, and you'll see this in other modern translation, translations, it said gave him to be the head over all things for the church. You could, if you just use this, this language, it's a little hard to, to, to say, but you can still say it. God gave Jesus to the church to be head over all things. Does that make sense? God gave Jesus to us, the church, to be head over all things. I like to say it this way. He made Jesus to be head over all things for us. For us. For us. All things are under our feet again. See, they were under the feet of mankind in the beginning. Satan took that authority. Jesus, in his personal life, in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven, he broke the power of the enemy, completely disrupted that, set it aside for every person who believes on Jesus Jesus was raised up and then he was seated at the Father's right hand, far above all things in subjection under his feet and gave him to be head over all things for us. I'm telling you, God is not in control. You're in control. See, do you understand why I'm saying God's not in control? God is only ruling and reigning through us. The people who always say, well, when you see those bumper stickers, you, you know, God's in control. That gives a, a completely erroneous, what was that word we heard the other day on TV? Factual? Counterfactual. Counterfactual. Really? How about just untrue? That is counterfactual. 
The idea that God is in control. See, the people who say that, their idea is, well, you know, everything that goes on, God's running everything. He has a secret master plan behind the scenes. And it doesn't matter what happens to you in your life or other people. In the end, it's all part of the big plan and he's just working that plan. That's not true. And the people who believe that just roll in life from one crisis, from one problem, from one disasters, from one failure to another, just thinking, well, God knows what he's doing, you know, as I'm in the, I'm in the wash tub of life and God's got put me on the spin cycle now, you know. <laughs> and, and believers that do that don't realize the devil's running their life. Because the whole world still lies under the sway of the wicked one. And though you are in Christ and all things are under your feet, if you don't know it and act on that, if you don't do what Jesus said and bind some things and loose some things, the things that are loose that need to be bound are going to stay loose. And the things that are, whatever the other side of that was, Things are going to go on in life that shouldn't go on and you're going to sit back and think, well, God let it happen. No, you let it happen. God is not in control. He hasn't been in control since the Garden of Eden. Satan was in control and he's still in control in the lives of people who haven't been born again. He's still in control. And he's not in control of believers' lives if they'll exercise their authority. But if we don't exercise our authority, if we don't take what is ours and exercise that authority, then who's in control? It's like, who's on first? Who's in control? Either you're in control, either, you're in, either you will control 2018 for you, not for your neighbor, for you. Either you're going to control 2018 or your circumstances are going to control 2018 or the devil's going to control 2018 where you're concerned. Those are your choices. Either you're going to be in control or you're just going to let circumstances be in control or the, and, and the devil gets involved in circumstances. He can work in that realm. That's the realm he operates in. He operates in this natural realm. He's a spirit, but he operates in this natural realm to cause a lot of things to happen. And, and if you're not taking control of your own life in 2018, you know, it sounds harsh, but I have to say it. If you're not going to take control, the devil will. Yeah, that's true. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's the truth. Bumper stickers notwithstanding, it's true. Amen. I'm going to give you four quick strategies for possessing God's best this year. Hallelujah. Go with me to Colossians 1. Colossians, the first chapter. Colossians 1. There are some prayers in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul prayed for the different churches that he uh, sent these epistles to. And these prayers were 
inspired by the Spirit of God. They're recorded, recorded in the Word of God because they are the Word. They're Spirit-inspired, ordained prayers. And so what he prayed for the church at, at Colossae would apply to, to the church in High Springs and right here at Impact, wouldn't it? He said in verse number, chapter one, verse number nine, he says, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Now notice, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the authority of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom, the reign, the rule of the Son of his love. Notice he has delivered us from the authority of darkness. See, the darkness still rules and reigns in this world, in those who are in, in the darkness. But we're not in the darkness. We've been translated out of that kingdom into the, out of that rule, out of that reign, out of that authority, into the rule and the reign of God. The kingdom, the rule and the reign of the son of his love. And so we've been delivered from the authority of darkness. But now I wanted you to see verse 9 and 10, he said, I'm praying that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, that, that, ought, to be, that ought to be your aim for this year. It ought to be your aim this year to, to, to walk worthy of the Lord and to fully please him. Being fruitful, that's productive, in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Now go over with me to Philippians. It's just back, previous uh, epistle. Ephesians chapter one. I love this verse. These two verses, nine and 10 and 11 and the rest of them. Ephesians 1, uh, Philippians, excuse me, Philippians 1, verse number 9. And this I pray, so this is a prayer that you can pray, that your love may abound still more and more in all knowledge and discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent. What in the world does that mean? That you may approve the things that are excellent. One, trans, one translation says that you will be able to recognize the highest and the best. God wants us to, to recognize the highest and the best and to go for that. Another translation says, so that you will have a sense of what is vital. Listen, don't spend 2018 majoring on the minors. Spend 2018 majoring on the majors. Amen. Amen. He said that you may have a sense of what is vital, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness. 
In 2018, why don't you go for God's best? Far too many Christians settle for way less than God's best. Too many Christians settle for just an okay life. And a lot of people sit in a church like this and their doctrine, what they believe is that we ought to rule and reign in this life in every area of our life. That means in our, in our spiritual life with God, in the soulish realm, in the physical realm, in the financial realm, in family, in relationships, in uh, our plans and pursuits for life. We ought to rule and reign in every area of our life. Many people sit in a church like that and they believe that, but they put up with far less than that. Put up with far less. You know, the prophet, prophet Haggai, he said, consider yourself. Take heed to yourself. Look to what's going on in your life. You have, you do all these things that should result in, in, in good outcome, but the outcome's not good. We ought to all take a, 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 a really brutal uh, assessment of our lives at the end of this year. Thanking God for what he's done, but how much have we missed out on? Take, a, take an inventory of your life right now and ask yourself this question in all the different places or areas of my life, do I really measure up to what I believe? Does my life measure up to what I say I believe? Well, if it doesn't, and, and I know because, because I just know, you know, people talk to us. And a lot of people, listen, a lot of people even here today at the beginning of 2018 are in exactly the same place they were in the beginning of 2017. There are folks here who have the same problems now that they had then. The devil's plundering your life right now just as much as he was and in the same areas that he was when you started this year. Getting quiet in here. It doesn't have to be that way. But only you can change it. Like I said two years ago when I preached this, you know, two years ago, doing the same thing you've done all this year is not going to have a different outcome next year. The only way to have a different outcome is to do something different. If Go for, the, go for God's best. Go for the gold. How many, how many people training for the Olympics have a vision in their, in their, in their heart? <laughs> I'm going for the bronze. Since I was a little girl, I've dreamed all my life going to the Olympics and getting that bronze medal. That's just been my goal all my No. You train for the gold. 
Amen. Go for God's best. Now, that, that doesn't mean that if you're under attack and the enemy is, is, uh, has got a foothold in your life somewhere that, that God's not happy with you, that he, do, that he doesn't love you, or that something's wrong with you. The only, the only thing to be ashamed of is, is if you stay there or if you don't take your authority and start turning those situations around and only you can do it. Your pastor can't do it. Your prayer partner can't do it. God can't do it. Now in the one sense, you know, he's God. He can do anything. But God has limited what he'll do by what he said. So since God can't violate his word and since he gave authority to us, to, to mankind, mankind lost it, but he sent his son to get it back and then through his son who he raised up and seated at his right hand above everything, put everything under his feet and gave him to the church and he said, that's the way you're gonna rule and reign. Since that's what he set up, he's not gonna go around that. He's not going to go around that and, and, and do in your life what he's given you through Christ the authority to do. He can't do it. He'd violate his word, his very principle. So in that sense, not in the sense he's not all God, but in the sense that this is the way he set it up, he can't do for you what only you can do for yourself. I didn't give you the four strategies. Number one, get God's plan. Get his plan. Where are you going to find his plan? In the word of God. Joshua said this word. That's what the Lord said to Joshua. This word shall not depart out of your heart and out of your mind, but you shall meditate in it day and night. This is Joshua 1.8. This word shall not depart out of your heart, out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Notice for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Who's gonna make you prosperous? Easy question. Who's gonna make you prosperous? Yeah, yeah, God, see, God works, but he only works when you put his action, your action to his word. So God's not gonna do it for you, but he does it in harmony with you whenever you act on his word. So get that word in you. You have to get it in you. You won't know God's plan for your life if you don't spend time in the word of God. Listen, we all read, not all of us, but quite a few of us read through the whole Bible, you know, in 2017. That's wonderful. I think that's great. I did it. But listen, if you only have time to read a little bit and that's bogging you down, spend most of your time in the New Testament. I'm gonna just tell you, spend most of your time in the New Testament. It's good to read the Old Testament. I do it. I'm not saying don't. I'm just saying spend your time in the New Testament because the New Testament replaced the Old Testament. <laughs> the old was superseded with the new. And we live in the New Testament. And if you wanna know God's will and God's plan for your life, Get into the Word of God, primarily the New Testament, primarily, especially the epistles that were written to you, to the church. Feed on them until you know God's plan for your life. You'll find that God's plan for your life is abundance. 
You'll find that God's plan for your life is prosperity. You'll find that God's plan for your life is health. You'll find that God's plan for your life is a strong marriage. You'll find that God's plan for your life is is uh, is uh, uh, children that are obedient and love God and live for God. You'll find that God's plan for your life is to be a success in business and to be a success in your in your work environment, to be a light to people around you, to be a witness to people around you, to be a per- person of influence. That's what you'll find out God's plan is, but you won't know it just hearing me. You'll only know it up here. It won't be real to you until you get it out of the book. Get into the book. That's, that's strategy number one is get God's plan. Strategy number two is get God's wisdom. Get God's wisdom. We, pray, we read over there in Colossians, he prayed, I pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You'll get God's plan from his word, but you'll get the wisdom to act on it through prayer. That's where the wisdom to put the word into operation will come from. It'll come from prayer. That spirit of wisdom and revelation. In all wisdom and spiritual, you'll, you'll know that you'll have the knowledge of his will, but in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Amen. Get God's plan, get God's wisdom, and then choose your sword. God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Choose which scriptures you're going to stand on. If you're fighting for your family, if you're fighting for your marriage, if you're fighting for your health, if you're fighting for your your, uh, financial or material stability, whatever it is you're, you're standing, wherever it is that you take an assessment of your life and there's something that is less than, your life demonstrates something less than what you believe, then, then if you're going after that area, Find out what God's word says. Get God's plan. Get his wisdom. Choose then, number three, choose your sword. Choose which scriptures you're going to stand on and absolutely build this year on those scriptures. Just write it down and say, now this, these are the verses that I'm going to stand on and these verses I'm going to, to they, are, they are going to define 2018 for me. At the end of the year, you, people, if they know, people will be able to look back and I'll be able to look back. At the end, end of 2018, I'll be able to look at, back and say, 2018 was described right here in these verses for me. Pick your scriptures. Decide on what you're gonna stand on. Amen. Believe it. There's th- four parts to this third one. Choose your sword. Number one, believe it. That is, believe it in your heart. Number two, declare it. You have to say what you believe. Number three, act on it. And number four, praise God continually. Praise God continually that you have what you believe and what you say and what you're acting like. Praise God continually. Believe it. Say it. There's the third one. Act on it. Act on it and praise God continually. Amen. Those are the subparts of, 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 of uh, strategy number three. And 
Strategy number four is don't slack off these four keys. Huh? Yeah, don't slack off these four, actually. Don't slack off the slacking off. Don't slack off these principles. Don't slack off. I have, as a pastor, I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in the truth. Make me happy. Fill me with joy. Amen. Because you will enjoy it. When I'm happy, you're happy. (laughs) When you're happy, I'm happy. Now, I'm serious. 2018 can be different. You might have gone through year after year, and some of you have, year after year after year, and the same things in your life torment you. Put a stop to that this year. You can do it by finding out God's plan, getting his wisdom, believe it, speak it, act on it, give him praise for it, and don't give up. Just keep on, keeping on, keeping on. I'm telling you, at the, at when we have our, 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 our final Wednesday night of 2018, you'll be one of those that'll be up on the front. Glory to God. I just wave your hand. Just talk to me. Get my, oh, pastor, let me get up and tell you what the Lord's done for me this year. That's what God wants. Well, amen. Praise the Lord. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.